save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Before we get to today's episode with Rick Buecher, Chris, we've been working with a great sponsor here, and this company actually helps us get additional sponsors. We want to tell you a little bit about them. Yeah, SpaceWolf. SpaceWolf.com is where you go. That's SpaceWolf with two Fs. They're a company that has a bunch of marketing spaces, right? So whether you own a pub and you want to use your, your space to maybe advertise other companies or you want to advertise with us, for example, on a podcast, any form of advertising can be done via SpaceWolf. Check them out at SpaceWolf.com. They are the provider of all of our sponsors here on the five reasons sports network if you want to get involved at ad space wolf on twitter or spacewolf.com yeah it's really easy too chris um basically when you decide to get involved with them we will send you a direct link to go to the website you can find all of the podcasts in our network there you get a form to give your information for payment and it's that easy and then we work with you on the copy so that you make sure that you get the message across that you want for your business so check them out at spacewolf.com against two again two f's at the end and at ad spacewolf on twitter and now on with the show welcome into episode 64 of the five reasons podcast i'm ethan skolnick here as always with chris whittingham thank you for finding us if you're on apple we are on itunes if you're android google play is the easiest way to get us we also are on several cross-platform apps, so check us out on Podbean, CastBox, and Stitcher. And check out the other podcasts in our network, including Miami Heat Beat, Three Yards Per Carry covering the Dolphins, Ballscast, and of course, Pitch Invasion with the World Cup starting up here this week. Chris Whittingham has all of your World Cup updates and will be taping three times a week throughout the course of the World Cup. All right, we've done a few NBA episodes Recently, I wanted to bring in today one of my former colleagues, worked with him at Bleacher Report. You know him because he has great information and even better hair, uh, which always made me jealous when I was at Bleacher <laughs> Report. And he is Rick Buecher. Tell people what you're doing these days, Rick. Well, I am still at Bleacher Report. I uh, also have a national radio show on Sirius XM talking about everything under the sun from 6 to 9 Eastern, Monday through Friday. And then do a couple hours solo on NBA radio where I just get to dial in and talk specifically hoops for two hours by myself and with my listeners and guests every week. And that's essentially it. I have to ask, Ethan, when you got into this business, did you ever imagine that you were going to have to give that intro that you just gave of all the different places <laughs> that you could be found talking in this business? It's... Uh, to me, it's a reflection of just how much things have changed. Oh, absolutely. You know, I remember having conversations with you at Bleacher and, and you talking about how in these days you have to be sort of multi-platform and, multi yep. and, vers and versatile. But you, you've done a little bit of everything, and we're going to tap into all of that today. So what we're going to do here with Rick is we're going to take a look at the five most compelling 
off-season storylines in the NBA. we got the draft coming up later this month. Free agency starts right after that. It is another summer of LeBron, just like 2010, just like 2014. So probably he's going to be keeping everybody hostage for several days again, like he did mm. in 2014 when I was waiting for my daughter to be born and, and mm. did not did not know when LeBron was going to make his decision. And I want to start here with part one with you, Rick, because you had a, a really ingenious idea, I remember, when we were at Bleacher Report. Your thought on this was, to make the league as interesting as possible and present himself with the biggest possible challenge that LeBron should play for a different team every season. And he has done the one-year contract thing in Cleveland, but has always gone back to Cleveland. Now we don't believe he's actually going to go back to Cleveland. First, do you still believe in that idea that you threw out there? And second, not where do you think he's going to go, but where do you think he should go in terms of a legacy play, in terms of if winning still matters the most? And do you think that winning still matters the most to him? If it was a legacy play, he stays in Cleveland. Making yet another move. I understand there's plenty of arguments. And, and to answer the first question, yes, I still believe in the idea. Not just that he should go on a series of one-year contracts to different teams, but that he should go to the team's that have just been miserable and have not had any success in recent memory. Go do a year with the Sacramento Kings, a year with the Charlotte Hornets, a year with the Orlando Magic. Raise all of those teams into the playoffs. Because, one, I'm just looking from, for relief from, and I think we already got it now as a result of everything that transpired in this last finals, but when I first came up with the idea, and the reason that I still embrace it is that this whole idea of LeBron chasing Michael and championships and all that stuff. It's First of all, it's just unbelievably tiresome and pointless. And the second is I want something else. And if he's going to present himself on a platform, he can't win on the same platform, but he could put himself on a different platform. So if he were to go and do something as selfless as go to all of these downtrodden franchises and drag them into the playoffs, and then go to the next place and drag that team in the playoffs, that would be an accomplishment, first of all, that no one has ever done, and I think he's capable of doing it. And two, it would change the entire view of his carpet bag. It wouldn't be all about him. It would be about the places that he goes to, especially since those places aren't like the first places that you think of on the NBA map to live in. So he would just, it would be such a good Samaritan tour. How could anybody not like LeBron if he went on that? Now, is it going to happen? No. And when I talk about legacy and you ask, you know, where should he go? I think he should go, I think he should go where he wants to go. I think he should go where it fits the dynamic of what he wants to do next. And for me, that sounds like he wants to be in a place that's comfortable for him and his family. And it's going to set him up for the post-playing career. What I really want from LeBron is just be honest about what you're about right now. If you want to say, hey, look, my family has sacrificed an awful lot. I still want to play. I want to be competitive. I want to see if I can chase another championship. But it's really about like other things. I wouldn't fault him for that. But when you tell me I'm going to, I, you know, my family comes first, but I'm still in championship mode. I'm like, nope. Wait a minute. No, it's one. One or the other has to be the priority. And I think I know which one is the priority at this point, but he's not saying it. He's trying to suggest that he can serve two masters. And I just don't think it's realistic. And this has been 
this has always been my issue more than anything with LeBron is just be honest. Don't tell us what you what you want us to think. Just tell us what's really going on and trust that we'll be okay with it. The thing that kind of colors this, in my opinion, I've obviously thought a lot about this, and frankly, it, it would be pretty exhausting if you just said the same thing over and over again. But to me, the thing that is most interesting about LeBron's situation at the moment is he gave voice to the fact that I don't think this is his final chapter. I think in some respects people are thinking of this as the final chapter, and to me the last move for him to make is to play with his son. I feel like he can mm. at least stay in the league long enough where in year 20, year 21, he'd be healthy enough and be able to contribute at a decent enough level to play with his son. He gave voice yeah. to it earlier this week. So I feel like this next step can go any different direction because it's not his last one. I don't think this is legacy-defining. I don't think this is his last move. And so he can kind of do whatever he wants to do with it. I can't argue with any of that. I do believe that that's somewhere. He's already he's already suggested it. And there's also that, like, my immediate, my immediate reaction is, well, how much are we going to manipulate this league where, and we already see it with LeVar Ball trying to do it with the Ball brothers. Like, I'm going to have them all play for the I mean, at, we're just handing over the keys to people or people think that you can just you can do whatever the hell you want. Now, my second thought is, well, you know what? I've seen plenty of nepotism in the front offices of NBA teams <laughs> right. where, you know, sons are are getting jobs that the only reason they have them is because their fathers were hired or their dads own the team or whatever it is. So I'm not big on the nepotism. It just feels inherently wrong to me. But. I can't fault LeBron for pursuing that or even, to be honest, the balls pursuing it because I've seen enough of it in other factions of the NBA. It depends what you think of uh, Brian Colangelo as a GM, but but certainly um, it helped him to get that first opportunity, you know, what his dad did. So, no yeah, doubt. I mean, th th yeah, so, so a lot of that has happened in the league. And the thing about LeBron and his son is interesting. I had a conversation with him. Uh, I did a sit down with LeBron when he turned 30. And I asked him, how long do you want to play? And he said, I think I can play until I'm 40. So, I mean, if you just look at the timeline there, he's 33 now. So seven years out, that would give him an opportunity to, to play with his son. So I, I certainly think it's out there for him. And I certainly think that's a possibility. All right. So let's try Go ahead. Do you Rick. think he's been thinking about that? He was thinking about that then that that would that that inspired the play till I'm 40. It's possible. I, you know, I asked him, what would you want to be doing uh, after you're 40? Would you want to be involved with basketball in some way? And he said, absolutely. I always took that to mean ownership in some way or maybe, you know, running an organization as a team president, possibly, although I don't think there's enough money in that for him. I think it would have to be ownership. But yeah, I mean, I think his son played into it. Now, at the time I did that interview, he was a little bit more guarded about his son. I remember him getting upset about some videos that went out about his son playing basketball. I mean, to compare the two, Dwayne has always been much more out there about Zaire playing than LeBron has about Bronny playing. But yeah, certainly I think that it occurred to him in some way. And actually, when we get to the next part of this, Rick, uh, this plays into it because I do think a big thing for LeBron is where his son plays basketball now. And I know that he always wanted him to play at St. Vincent, St. Mary. But let's get to the next step of this. So I, I like your idea. I, I Look, if he went to play for the Kings, I mean, it's to Sacramento, I, that would be fascinating, right? I mean, the national media de sure. de descending on Sacramento. But let's look at the more reasonable possibilities here. So the mm -hmm. ones that get mentioned the most are Philadelphia, Houston, 
and the Lakers. Let's look at those three. Okay. Which to you is the best basketball situation? Philadelphia, Los Angeles, or Houston? Houston for me is the best basketball situation because you have the go-to guy that you need or you need that element that he needs. And this is where things, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but this finals and the way it transpired reminded me or enforced, he needs that other guy and he needs that other guy who can basically take over the game when need be and embraces, wants to take over the game when it's in, in the crux. And so I look at Chris Paul and I say, that's that guy. James Harden has the capability. I still, sometimes I'm still, the jury's a little bit out in terms of he backs off at odd times for as accomplished a scorer as he is, or he settles. Chris Paul is not like that. So he's the perfect piece. And I just, I believe that they could find a way to make it, to make it work and the style that they play. I don't like Philadelphia because while Joel Embiid can certainly shoot the three, I don't want him out there all the time. And if he's playing around the basket, then that reduces the space that LeBron has to play in. And more important than anything, if you're taking the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands, and if you have LeBron, you're taking the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands, I don't know how he becomes an effective player. He's not a scorer from range. He's never done anything that that impressed me in terms of playing off of the ball. He's an okay defender. He's not a great defender. So that just doesn't work for me from a basketball standpoint. Now, I would say I would put the Lakers in number two, and I could make a case for number one simply because the two times that we've seen him move, the team has been a blank slate, and you can build the team according to what LeBron needs around him. And the Lakers would afford that and are, seem to be willing to do that. And so if you're going to get the most out of him, now that's what gets a little tricky because of the age and can you, how quickly can you put that together. But nonetheless, it is the Lakers, it is L.A., and you do have cap space, it is magic. And that, to me, is the template that I've seen work before. But for pieces that are already there, Houston makes the most sense or the next most sense to a blank slate. I want to get to the next tier of guys here with you because obviously we're going to, as I said earlier, we're probably going to be held hostage by LeBron for a few days. I, I don't right. know that he's going to make the decision right away. And so once he makes the decision, then these other dominoes are going to fall. And one of those dominoes uh, may actually fall with him. So there was a report yesterday, and I don't know how credible it is, that Paul George may be leaning towards staying in OKC. Um, I don't see that as particularly smart for him. Um, I, I don't know that the fit with Westbrook was all that good. I don't know how they're going to be able to add other pieces with Carmelo opting in and still on the books unless they move Carmelo for a couple other of other pieces, supplementary pieces. You know, again, I still think that L.A., you know, is attractive to Paul. But we had uh, Nikias Duncan, who's in our network and does some stuff for Basketball Breakdown. He actually thinks the best possible fit for Philadelphia is not at the small forward position is not LeBron James, but it is Paul George just yeah. because of style of play. Do, yeah. do you, do you agree with that? And where do you think Paul George ends up? Yeah. You know, I, I can see where I, I could make a case that Paul George is a better fit than LeBron James when it comes to Philadelphia, because he can play and be effective as he's demonstrated without the ball in his hands. First of all, he's, he, he can be a really good defender. And as he demonstrated, I mean, look, for all that OKC wasn't, I was there when they came back on Utah to extend that series. And I saw Russ and Paul George have the effect that they had. And it's also being around that team during that series and having some conversations with PG and people in the organization. 
I'm look, it's always tough to read. We've we've all been through this in terms of trying to figure out exactly what a guy's thinking or doing. And sometimes they don't even know, which makes it really difficult. They're still puzzling it out. I do think that there is a better chance of him staying in Oklahoma City than than people have have given it credit. And so I'll be interested to see where that goes. But his as far as PG in Philadelphia, it makes a ton of sense. The difficulty in this right now, and this is the whole Brian Colangelo thing that, that that sets them back, we don't know who's running that organization. And as you well know, there are conversations going on right now with teams and free agents and agents and trying to establish where guys are going. Philadelphia doesn't have, they've got a, a temp. I don't know how much Brett Brown is being empowered, but the bottom line is, even if he's has full power as of right now, people know that there's going to be another GM coming in there. That's awfully difficult for a player and his agent to make a deal not knowing who's going to be running the show. So this puts Philadelphia squarely behind the eight ball in terms of the current climate. Why wouldn't you just hire David Griffin? There, There's nobody that makes more sense. Unless you're talking about you're you're going out to get an assistant GM, which is like the you know the Nick Nurse experiment that we're seeing in Toronto, you you can go and get somebody that you've liked that's been an underling. But the truth of the matter is, for where you are and for the big fish that you're trying to land, for me to suggest anybody else, it's just, it pales in comparison to Griff. And I honestly, my only thought as to why is because Griff really likes his life right now. And he's living in Napa. His wife has a job in Napa. She has sacrificed a lot for him to do what he's done, living in Cleveland, moving around. And no offense, people in Cleveland, okay? I'm from Ohio originally. I'm just saying. (laughs) Napa, Ohio, there's a little bit of a distinction. But in any event, I would would think that, you know, it's a matter of are they financially going to make it worth his while? And is it enough for where he is in his personal life right now? I mean, it's He's only been out a year and it is an enticing job. I don't think it's like everybody uh, saw, you know, reports about like even guys who have jobs are interested in that job. And I understand why, because there are a lot of pieces to play with. You have young talent and you still have a lot of first round picks and you could potentially have some cap space, although that's going to go away in a hurry here if you're going to keep your young talent. But it's also the bar has been set really high. And I am not convinced that they're necessarily going to be able to replicate it. There's the questions of Embiid's health. There's the question of Ben Simmons' development. What do you do with Dario Saric? J.J. Redick, are you going to bring him back? At what number? Guys like Ersan Ilyasova and Marco Bellinelli, while you know they were, they were late additions, the fact is those guys had huge impacts on this team in the postseason. So for where they want to go and what they want to be, the, the ancillary pieces that they sign are going to have a huge impact on that. And you're now you've, you know, like it or not, if they're anything less than a 50-win team and going to, at the very least, the second round of the playoffs and ideally to the conference finals, taking the next step forward, you're talking about disappointment. So that's where, I mean, it's the same in Toronto with Nick Nurse. Like, everybody's expecting, okay, well, the last guy, he did well, but he didn't get us to where we wanted to go. That's your job now. And as you well know, as you guys know, that's easier said than done, and and every year it changes, and you can't assume that because what you did last year, it's going to carry over to the next year. 
All right, so I think the next guy that it, that for me, I, had, I didn't even realize I was I was doing radio the last couple of days, and it was brought up to me. Well, where do you think Boogie Cousins is going to go? And yeah. I kind of forgot about Boogie Cousins after the injury, and because New Orleans went on a great run without him. Do you think he stays in New Orleans? Do you think? Uh, what do you pay a guy that big off an Achilles yeah. injury? That that yeah. whole conundrum for me is really confusing and. Uh, if you're another team, do you want to take on his personality? I don't know what he would get paid on the open market and who would want him. Yeah, poor New Orleans. They had a really nice step forward. The relationship between DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis does inform what they do. Every indication I've had is that they are bringing him back and they'll bring him they'll do whatever's necessary to bring him back that the ownership of that team is a little bit in flux too and that anytime you have any sort of uncertainty or instability anywhere in the franchise that 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 sends tremors uh, other places and but you're right i mean it scares me i'm i'm a big demarcus cousins fan as far as the talent is concerned i believe that he is an antidote to what we've seen with the golden state warriors i i'm i'm of the mind i like what oklahoma city the thought process look we're not going to try to be better than golden state at what they do that's just we we need to be we need to be better in a different way that's difficult for them to play and and make it a battle of who controls the tempo and who controls the style not we're going to build a better uh, a better spaceship than you did because let's face it you putting together that perfect union of Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant like how the personalities mesh and how their guys are willing to accept roles and the dynamic of Steve Kerr and Bob Meyer, like the whole thing. You're, you're trying to go one better than that. I'd rather build something that is difficult for them to deal with. And that's my way. So I like the idea of Cousins being part of that. I think he presents that uh, that that issue in, in the same way that Joel Embiid does. Guy who can shoot the three, guy who can kind of play the current style, but can also punish you inside with a big body, can just wear people down. The body blows. So uh, ultimately, I think he stays in New Orleans. I don't know that that's the best for them, but it's hard for me to talk about what else might happen because any place that he would go, if he went to L.A., to either one of the L.A. teams, it would be you're kind of working with blank slates there. You know, it's going to depend on what you're going to put around him as to what would be effective. You know, I'd really love to see is I'd love to see him in Portland. I'd love to see him with the Blazers because I think that that is the one element. I thought Yusuf Nurkic was going to be that. He proved not to be that. Uh, You give me cousins there with those two guards and suddenly I've got an entirely different look to my team. Let's get to one more guy here, and then I think we are going to touch on Portland just a little bit. Uh, if If you were to call it right now, does Kawhi start next season with the Spurs? Here's the issue with that, that no one seems to be willing to fully confront. And that's that Kawhi's issues with the San Antonio Spurs begin and end with Greg Popovich. Now, it's an odd thing to absorb because Greg Popovich has always been like the the way we think of him in, in, in the media and his relationship with Tim Duncan and all the guys that are thankful that they went through the San Antonio program, you know, how uh, Manu Ginobili talks about him. But the fact of the matter is that Pop has been doing it a certain way and it's an old school way and it worked when Tim was there and it also worked when they were winning championships. Guys, again, you know this, like what you will put up with if it means that you're going to win a championship or you have the promise of a champ, getting a championship, guys will put up with a lot. 
the second that it's I'm putting up with this and you're not getting me any closer to a championship than if I were someplace else and I wasn't putting up with this, it's that dynamic suddenly changes. So I believe that Pop is going to give it his best shot in repairing that. And I've seen him repair relationships over the years, not just with LaMarcus Aldridge. I've seen him be able to sit down and reach a guy. This whole thing with Kawhi is so extreme. I question whether he can get it back together. But ultimately, they can't get value back for Kawhi. So to answer your question, yes, I expect him to start the season. I do. I, I, I expect that they will give every shot at trying to keep him and repair the relationship and add things in much the same way. You know, Oklahoma City is a mirror image of San Antonio. In the same way that Oklahoma City went to the wall trying to keep KD there and make it right. And they did to a certain extent with Russ Westbrook. And I think that's what they'll do is they'll do what, what, they, what, what Oklahoma City did with Westbrook. That's why you hear the rumors of, you know, Pop wants to sit down with LeBron. Pop's going to try to find a way to say, you don't have to go anywhere. I'll change. I'll bring the championships back. I'll get the guys here that you want to play with and uh, and that that will will settle it. And I'm, I'm just going to buy into the idea. I'm not saying they're going to get it done, but I think they're going to go to the wall trying. On the Three Yards Per Carry podcast, you get this type of analysis. Even if you count all those guys, there's only two players in the NFL that are producing three yards or better every time they even step on the field and run a route. And those are Julio Jones and Jakeem Grant. And this, too. So naturally, we have this dick that could set fire to a suitcase with us, okay? So... Nobody's too about your walk, right? <laughs> Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Join us every Thursday for three yards per carry on the Five Reasons Sports Network, covering all of your Miami Dolphins news. All right, let's go to part three here with Rick Buecher. You mentioned this team a little bit earlier. I'm just going to throw this out to you in the same question. You've got an elite backcourt in Portland in Lillard and McCollum. You have an elite backcourt in Toronto in Lowry and DeRozan. But you have two teams that really underperformed in the playoffs. Uh, one, Both top four seeds and Toronto a one seed. Um, and both of them get swept out. So so what do you do there? Do you just try to roll it back with those guys? Or, or do you think that Olshay and, uh, and Masai will make a change and, and break up those backcourts? I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that either team is going to break them up. I'm more confident that the Portland backcourt can work. What was exposed is the fact that you need a playmaker for those guys to play off of, that their size uh, can hamper you when it comes to that. You can get matchups where you make the game difficult for them, and then what do you go to? Now, when remember when, when they first got Nurkic and we got all excited about them and they made that explosive run and then Nurkic got hurt? One of the reasons that worked so well is that they could play through him. He was the passing big that if you tried to lock in on Lillard and McCollum, they could play off the ball and 
if you had a playmaker, and that's why they got Evan Turner. They, they, they've been trying to solve this or, uh, or complete this puzzle, solve this riddle uh, for, you know, a, a couple of years now. And they just haven't they haven't found that piece. But considering how these guys are capable of playing off of the ball, that they both can score inside and outside, I don't break that up. Toronto is a lot tougher. Now, I don't break that one up either because if LeBron leaves the Eastern Conference, then you've you've you know the big boogeyman that you just can't get around is no longer there and you know the dynamic change yeah boston is uh, is there and they're formidable but okay i've seen them play boston and i've seen them beat boston they, it's it's uh, they don't present the same problem as whatever specter lebron does for them I, I don't like their backcourt uh, as much as I like Portland's because I, I it like Damian Lillard's not afraid to, to to go get it, and I don't think that Kyle Lowry is afraid to go get it either. But I don't think his his game is quite uh, on the level of of Damian Lillard. Maybe a better defensive player, physically stronger, obviously. But I just there's there's a couple things like lacking. I don't think his IQ and his ability to blend his scoring with with uh, with the rest of the team. Is quite the same, and then uh, Demar Derozan, whose whose story and whose as a person I really like, so it's difficult for me to be critical. But nonetheless, from a basketball standpoint, he's he's one of these. He's a coach killer, and not because he's a you know malevolent or because he's you know he's a locker room lawyer or any of that. It's simply his game is is a really good regular season game, and is always going to leave you wanting in the postseason. It's just he's not able to go to that next level. And and yet he's going to have the kind of regular seasons where you're like, okay, so it's all there. The size, the length, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, defensively, he's good. It's just he's just not – he's just not good enough to get you where Toronto wants to go. So that one for me is, you know, God bless Nick Nurse. The bar is set high. I, it, I, and again – and I'm not. In some ways, I'm not even blaming Masai Ujiri because let's face it, he's in Toronto. That still remains a a hindrance to building a team. If I look at the the success that they've had, I, I get it. You know, sometimes you just you make difficult. You have to make difficult decisions. You have to make the best of a difficult situation. And people will get the idea that you're supposed to go to a certain level or win a certain thing, and you don't win it. So then it becomes a failure. And I'm thinking, you know what? Toronto had the best record in the Eastern Conference. Toronto is now talked about as a potential NBA finalist. That's a huge accomplishment. I don't think ultimately that what they've built can get them there, but the fact that they've put them in that con- they've put themselves in that conversation is a success. And like you said, it's a really difficult bar to eclipse now because frankly, nothing they do in the 82 games matters. Nothing because yep. they yep. just they just won 59 games. They were just the one seed. And they did the same Raptors thing in the playoffs, and they got destroyed by LeBron again. Like, nothing they do over the 82 games. It only matters come April. So I guess if you're Nick Nurse, it allows you to experiment with some things. But for me, you say that you don't think either team should blow it up. I think they both should because I just don't think as currently constructed – they're going to get to a stage where they can compete for the championship. Even if LeBron left the conference, you're still dealing with Philly, you're still dealing with Boston, and maybe you think you can compete with them, but I think Boston and Philly healthy beats Toronto in a series. So I think the reason why there's a hesitancy 
to blow things up is because you because it's hard and particularly you saw you know the James Harden trade you got basically nothing back in return right. the Kyrie Irving trade they didn't get a ton back in return Cleveland but I think you have to bank on the fact that whatever three for one package or two for one with a pick package that you get in return can just change the mix a little bit because I really do think it is a very human thing to not want to bang your head against the wall over and over again and the second you go down 1-0 in a series it's oh it's it's everything is back to being the same again I really do think that obviously they, they say insanity is you know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting right. different results like I think players start to feel that too the front office starts to feel that too and even if you change it you at least feel like all right this is a different thing than what we've seen the last few years well I, I get that and if it's you know, we have to win a championship or we're not going to be satisfied, then then you're right. Because as I said, I don't I'm not convinced that just staying the course is going to get them there. But I do look at it's Toronto. And if you blow it up, are are you going to get other free agents that are going to come there to play on a bad team or you can say, hey, you're going to be the next centerpiece? I mean, the the potential of it being a long winter for uh in in the north uh, if i can use sort of a game of thrones reference there <laughs> is is that I, I i it's not a guarantee that you get out of it see I, again that's why you know Masai getting a demar derozan re-upping him demar derozan wanting to be there kyle lowry being a free agent i think in some ways he stayed because it was the best you know option on the block and they over overpaid a little bit but nonetheless they they made themselves viable. So that's that's my concern, that if you blow it up in Toronto, and even to a certain extent in Portland. I mean, Portland, I'm, I love Portland. That's one of my favorite NBA cities, bar none. Um, part because I'm like, I the Nike employee store is still like a candy store to me <laughs> as a kid. Uh, uh, even though it's not the deal that it once was and it's, you know, there's been some changes. Nonetheless, I still, I, I, I love going up there. I love the restaurants, et cetera. I, lo- I love that small town, you know, river town feel. Uh, but, but nonetheless, it's, it's not, you know, they haven't killed it when it comes to free agents. And so that's the, di- that's the danger that you run in saying we're going to blow it up is okay. You're, you're going to blow it up, but man, this isn't going to be a, the, the chances that it's not going to be a quick turnaround or that you're going to be struggling to find a guy like Damian Lillard who embraces being there uh, or DeMar DeRozan who embraces being there. Those markets, it's difficult to find guys that look at it that way. All right, let's get on to part four now. and Let's get to two teams that are in a little bit better position right now. Um not going to dwell too long on the Warriors here, but you have covered the Warriors for years, and obviously you live out there, and uh, and you were there for sort of the rise of this team. So uh, real quick here, what do they do now to, A, uh, try to convince Draymond to stay long-term, if, if again, if he wants a, a Supermax or something along those lines that might be challenging, and how do they, bu- how do they build out uh, that bench um, so it, it's a little bit more reliable than it yeah. was this season. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I think uh, I would expect that Nick Young is going to be gone. I think that they have the mid-level exception. You know, whether they go with, uh, I mean, Trevor Ariza. Hearing that Trevor Ariza was interested in joining the Warriors perked my ears up because he's he's a perfect piece. Um, I don't know where he is, kind of health-wise and age-wise. I think he's 32. 
Uh, he's a little bit younger. He's a he's a he's he's Andre Iguodala light in my mind. Not quite the playmaker that he is, but certainly defender. Can shoot the three. Already has a championship to his name for a reason. Uh, I I like that. Avery Bradley, I like sort of for the same reason. That's that's what they need. They went to get Nick Young because they like the size and. And they looked at shooting as being, you know, all important and thought that they could bring Nick Young along as a defender the way they brought KD along. And that that really didn't work. It's also the personality. Like, I like Avery Bradley's personality. I like Trevor Ariza's personality. I can't put JaVale McGee and Nick Young in the same locker room or they might have babies. Like, that that, (laughs) that, that person, you know, those two personalities can become infectious and they can lead you – if you have championship aspirations, one, it's good to have a court gesture, uh, court jester. I don't want to do a full on comedy roast. And so I would expect that they'll make a change there, but it really, that it's there. It, it is bolstering the bench for sure, but it's also, I, I don't know that there are easy solutions, particularly Andre Iguodala at this stage. Like he's made a point of saving himself for the end of the year. And he did it successfully, although he still got hurt. And then he almost got hurt again. Uh, it's just where they are. And it's just what happens when, as they've consolidated to keep the four together and spend the money there, you're just not going to have the same versatility and flexibility. And oh, by the way, that four that you lean on so heavily, they're going to they're going to experience the grind too. When Clay Thompson is getting hurt, you know that everybody is vulnerable because that dude is the Iron Man. And yes, he played through it. But the fact of the matter is, you know, guys get hurt when they're just become a little mentally slower, a little mentally fatigued, physically slower. That's when you're a step slow, half a step slow, and somebody rolls up on you when otherwise you would have, you you know, you would have stepped clear of that. Or if somebody falls back into you because you weren't taking a step away from the basket or a step in another direction, you just, you were. You're just standing where you were standing because you didn't feel like moving. So I, the, the, my, my issue, and, I, and nobody's talked about it, and I haven't had a chance to talk to him about it, but I saw while, while there wasn't an injury, Draymond Green to me was not the same frenetic player that he's been in the past. And as much of an IQ as he has and much of a director as he is on both ends of the floor that makes him so invaluable, it still is his versatility athletically and as a defender that has made him special. And I just saw way too many too many instances where guys were able to measure him this year in one-on-one situations and score, whereas before he would frustrate the hell out of them. And if he's falling off a little bit and Andre Iguodala is falling off a little bit, then their defense is a completely different animal. And I don't know what the solution is for that, but it's why I look at the Avery Bradleys and the Trevor Arizas. And while in recent years they've looked at, let's just amplify the offense and make sure that we have enough scoring because that's how this game is being played these days. I think that they need to take a long, hard look at how do we amplify our defense? How do we find ways to take pressure off of Andre and Draymond if they want to keep this thing rolling? All right, let's get on to part five here. Um, you mentioned a couple of these under-the-radar free agents, so we're not going to dwell on that too much here. But Avery Bradley is a really good name, I think, after having kind of a down season last year after getting out of Boston. Um, yep. and, and and I do agree with you on Ariza. I think uh, you know, I, he's he's always kept himself in pretty good condition, and he can make a three. I, he he does seem like, as you said, Iguodala light. So I would like that. I would like that one on the Warriors also. But let's let's shift gears to Boston here. Let's close with them. Um, because uh, it, 
Danny Ainge seems to have so many options there. And now we have the report uh, this week, or or actually not just a report. I mean, Kyrie came out and said that, you know, he's they're not going to do an extension right now. They've had some conversations, going to kind of let things play out until 2019. Uh, my thing with this, Rick, is when you look at the Celtics right now, they're bringing back uh, a, a high-usage wing um, in Gordon Hayward. They're bringing mm-hmm. back a high-usage point guard, a very high-usage point guard mm-hmm. in Kyrie Irving. Uh, we saw Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum kind of step into bigger roles than anybody anticipated in their mm-hmm. first and second seasons. And you still have Horford at age 32 playing at a pretty high level, and you got a mm-hmm. decision to make on Marcus Smart. If mm-hmm. if you're Danny Ainge right now, do you just roll it back now that you have Hayward and Kyrie healthy and see how the pieces fit? Or do you try to make a move for, I, again, I don't think they're going to get Anthony Davis this summer. But do you try to move Kyrie a year early? Do you look at maybe trying to move one of the wings and a pick for Kawhi? What do you do if you're Ainge? No, I, I honestly, I hold serve. This team has has had a chance to grow. You've gotten great experience for some young guys, but at the same time, you discovered their youth. Uh, Jason Tatum was phenomenal, uh, so much better than anybody expected him to be. But the fact of the matter is, he wasn't quite ready for a game seven. He couldn't close. Uh, Terry Rozier got exposed a little bit. I know that, you know, at one point people were hot and heavy. Trade Kyrie because Terry Rozier can do it. And then you're, you ta- saw, you're, ta- uh, you're talking to one of them. E- Ethan was was aboard that train. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah I, well, I got and, involved in that one and Chris was shooting me down on that. So, yeah. And look, and I, and I, we've all, we've all done it. We got, look, I'm going to go back to some of the guys that I've gotten hot and bothered about. And then, <laughs> They're playing in Europe right now. Um, it it, it uh, no. It, every once in a while, you know, somebody strikes our fancy. But this has always been the thing for me: is that the playoffs. That's why it's so important for players, young players, for teams. As the my issue with Philadelphia, like I need. Okay, so you you select a, a guy that you expect is going to be a star. The regular season doesn't tell you whether he's a star or not. The playoffs tell you whether he's a star. Like Victor Oladipo demonstrated, that dude, that dude you can build around. That guy's a star. Uh, Terry Rozier at times looked like it, and then you realize, okay, well, for where we want to go, and, and and I would say this too with Victor Oladipo. Like we saw, I, I'm gonna roll with him. I think he can be, uh, you know, a, a, a centerpiece. I, I think that what he did against LeBron and in the first round carries and extends itself because he really was him. Terry Rozier had an opportunity to separate himself, and he got he he got scared. Like he was massaging the ball, he was kind of attacking, but didn't know what he wanted to do, and then he just swung it. Now there's a desperate three. And Jason Tatum, I think, just it was it was just new. I, he's not afraid of the moment. He just needs to figure out what it is that he goes to. And quite honestly, when your point guard is kind of losing it the way Terry is, that, that doesn't help things either. And you didn't really have a whole lot of other offensive weapons. That's that's where I think that Jason Tatum can still be effective. And you bring Kyrie back. I think that can I think that can work. The interesting dynamic is going to be. You bring Gordon back, you bring Kyrie back. Can you be as good defensively as they were? And can you still maintain that mindset? Because I think they looked at it and said, look, we, that's that's where we're, we're young and we're unproven. But, uh, you know, especially offensively, we really need to be on a string defensively and, and, and hang our hat on on playing that way. And they did that especially you know, defending the three. And so that to me is going to be the trick. But ultimately, I, I look, I think if you give them Kyrie, they win game seven. 
they win that series because that was the one thing was missing was everybody gets a little nervous. Everybody gets a little shaky. Oh my God. If we, we need a bucket, we get a bucket here. We're going to the finals. And if we don't, we we're we're probably not. You need that guy who goes, I got it. I got it. We're going. Okay. I got it. And that's what Kyrie Kyrie relishes that role. Never mind. Do it. Loves doing it. They didn't have anybody like that. And ultimately that was the difference. And like you say, stars are built in the playoffs and I, I think a lot of people were skeptical about Kyrie, uh, particularly because of his regular season performances before yep. LeBron got there. And then you see him in the postseason. And for me, he is a no doubt ironclad superstar, like you said about Oladipo. Like, they needed Kyrie Irving in that series, and you saw it in the Game 7. Uh, to me, it was remarkable they got to that point to begin with. So you had two legit star-quality players. I can't wait to see what they look like next year. I wouldn't trade a single player. Like, unless an Anthony Davis trade presented itself, then you have the, then obviously you have to have the conversation. But if, like, a Giannis trade presented itself, like something where you couldn't say no, then right. then you go and pull the trigger. But until until that happens, I think you just go again and see if Gordon Hayward and, and Kyrie Irving fit. And if they don't, then you have an offseason to figure it out. You try and re-sign Kyrie and maybe you move Gordon Hayward or whatever. You can figure things out after that point, but you need to see it in the playoffs first because on paper, it looks like it's unstoppable. Yeah, and here's the thing. I, like, I know what Kawhi, Kawhi is. I know what he's done. I know the ability, but the chemistry, the chemistry of teams cannot be undervalued. And he told in that meeting, I was told he told his teammates, look, I love you guys. I'm not sitting this out because of you. I don't like that guy, meaning pop. And but for all that, you weren't showing up for playoff games. You couldn't even sit on the bench for what Boston has. And for the way those guys get to uh, get along, considering that there's a lot of young guys competing to to be stars, I don't know that I'm going to bring a Kawhi Leonard. I wouldn't have said this a year ago, but now I, I don't I don't know that I want to risk that. I don't know that what I get from Kawhi is worth the gamble of what he might do to my team. And it sounds weird saying that, but honestly, I, I just this whole thing with San Antonio is is so puzzling to me. I mean, I get it. I, I, I get it on one level. But on another level, the idea that Kawhi Leonard, you know, doesn't think he's getting his just desserts in San Antonio, I'm like, dude, you, you've never struck me as somebody who wanted all of that ancillary stuff. Why why is that? If, if, if true, like, why is that important now? And if you're listening to someone who's telling you that it's important, well, then that's another troubling sign for me if I'm running a franchise. Yeah, that is. It did come out of nowhere because everybody said uh, after Tim Duncan, Kawhi was the most Spursy spur, right? Like, I mean, this, yeah. he 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 absolutely fit the mold. Didn't want to talk to the media. We know obviously in San Antonio they shield guys a little bit. It's just the way that they've always operated, and and it just seemed like a perfect situation for him. And and, so, and, and like and like you're saying, Rick, it's if it doesn't work for Pop then other organizations have to go, well, Pop does it better than all of us. If, if you right. don't think it's going to work for him, it's definitely not going to work for me. And, and by the way, Brad Stevens and the way he runs that team, there are, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, he, he more than anybody uh, aided Kyrie in killing the idea. I mean, if, if Kyrie wanted to be the man as the, you know, the, the excuse for his leaving Cleveland or LeBron's people saying that was the reason that he left – you don't go to Boston. You don't go play for Brad Stevens because Brad mm. Stevens doesn't play favorites. He's right. gonna play who he's going to play whoever has it going. So if that's what Kawhi wants, uh, I don't know that Brad Stevens and the Boston Celtics make the most sense.
All right, so let's close with this because there's one other guy who likes a really structured organization, and he's the only guy uh, in the league who would act as close as he is with Pop, and he has a relationship with Pop. But he's the only guy in the league who who would say out loud, "Well, Pop didn't make it work, but maybe I can." Uh, would be Pat Riley. So just real quick to close here, uh, we're really close to it, Rick. Uh, we we're none of us, uh, Chris and I, were not fond of their off season last year, giving out the four year contracts to guys like James Johnson and Dion Waiters. Uh, the Olenek deal turned out to be okay, but they mm. went way out into the future, which is not Boy, something they, they typically spent does. a lot of money. I mean, uh, I, they, have, uh, yeah. they only have the most money committed of any team for next season. <laughs> it's tell, insane. Tell, tell us about it. So I, I guess here's my question for you because you're plugged in around the league. We're close to it. What do people around the league think that the Heat are doing right now? Do do they see a plan? Uh, because I, it just seems it's been so unriley like what he's done over the past year compared to always sort of planning to have space, being sure that he could get in the room with the biggest fish. Like what they did last offseason runs completely counter to that. I, well, I, I haven't had a conversation about people directly about Miami. I, I, the The general sense that I get is that some of this was born out of LeBron leaving them high and dry, wanting to be competitive as, as soon as possible, and and having a kind of like almost kind of the opposite of like what what they had, which is we're going to we're going to have this model almost a little bit like the Knicks model for Pat. Like we're just going to have really strong physical hardworking blue collar guys and we're going to reward all of them. And we're just, we're going it, to, it's almost by sheer will. The Pat's going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to, in a way I'm going to, I'm going to make this team in, in the model of me, like what I truly, truly embrace. And let's just go, let's go get it done. It was almost like I, I, he wanted to fight LeBron personally and he couldn't do it. So you know what? I'm going to build a team that looks exactly like I look or the way I operate, the way I think. And and that's what he did. And now you kind of look at it and you go, eh, well, Pat, there's a reason you weren't a great player. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, there are limitations to, to just being mentally tough and a grinder and all of that. And that's, you know, that's what they have right now. They have they have a team that's going to compete every night, uh, and and uh, and I get it, but like, can you grow? Can you evolve? And can you do that? You you have what you have. I mean, I just I don't know of any of those guys that if they wanted to remake it now, if he suddenly wakes up and goes, oh, what did I do? Boy, that was I kind of indulged myself there. Boy, if if Pat can come out from under this and and remake this team on the fly, uh, he, it may have be his greatest accomplishment because I, I, I think they have what they have. They'll be good, but they're a long way from being great. All right. Well, great stuff from you today. Again, you can find Rick Buecher on Sirius XM living out in the Bay Area, uh, having breakfast with us here on a podcast. <laughs> uh, Rick, we really appreciate you doing it. We will get it up uh, in the morning. Uh, thanks and, and best of luck with everything. My pleasure. Same to you guys. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. DLN's Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.